Today I want to share with you God's salvation story, beginning with the book of Genesis and ending in the Gospels. Now, before you go, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to cover it for a part. I'm skip. I'm just touching on some highlights and stuff. I'm not going to do like Paul and preach all night till someone falls out the window and dies. But, uh, but just wants to, um, just want to go over because the very beginning has a great deal to do with what happened at the cross. The very, the, the, what happened in the beginning is what, why what needed to happen happened at the cross. So in the very beginning of time, in the very beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth and everything. He created Adam and Eve and he gave them dominion and authority over the whole world, over the spiritual world and the physical world. They were the boss. They were in charge of everything on this planet. So uh, we see this in Genesis 1, 26. And he didn't just give authority to Adam, okay? I want to say he gave authority to Adam and Eve, okay? Just so you know. It says, then God said, let us make men in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So here we see Adam and Eve given dominion and authority by God to be in charge and rule in this world. So one day the devil came and he started talking to Adam and Eve, and they listened. They listened to him. Then they got curious, and their curiosity turned into action, and they obeyed, they listened to what the devil said, and they obeyed him. And when they disobeyed that one rule, he had, God gave them one rule, one, just one, that only had one thing they couldn't do. Uh, they disobeyed that one thing, and the result was sin and death entered this world. The result was, um, was tragic. The result was authority being transferred to the devil. Let me show you this, what happened in Genesis 3, 22-24. Then God said, let behold, the man has become like one of us, this is God speaking. to like one of us. What do we see there? We see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like one of us. Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove, him out, drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east side of the garden of Eden in a flaming sword which turned every way uh, to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, sometimes we read over stories in the Bible, we don't really stop to think about how amazing is this. There's this big angel now standing in the way, and there's just some floating sword in the way, too, just floating around, and it's guarding this path that can't come in. And think about this, Adam and Eve had already eaten of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. They, spiritual death had already happened to them. They were physically dying gradually over time as well. But the tree of life had so much power that if they got back into the garden and ate from the tree of life, they wouldn't die physically. They would live forever in that spiritually dead state. So God removing them from the garden was actually an act of mercy, not an act of his punishment. Okay? It was an act of mercy. Think about how powerful that fruit was. Okay? God didn't want them to be able to take out, reach out their hand and take that and eat and live forever in that sin state. So he kicked them out. So again, an act of mercy. So the result of their disobedience where sin and death entered the world and also entered mankind. With sin, sickness, death, corruption entered the world. And uh, these things were unknown before the sin. There were, they didn't know about sickness. They didn't know about disease and death or decay. The ground was cursed with thorns. Plants and animals began to decay and gradually die, things they'd never seen before. Adam and Eve died spiritually, instantly, and, and gradually over time because the wages of sin is death. It's death. So on top of that, they gave their authority over to the devil. Now, people, some people know that, some don't know that. For, so for those that don't know, I'll show you this from Scripture. Luke 4, 6 and 7. And he, that's the devil, said to him, that's Jesus, 
I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. The devil's trying to tempt Jesus here. He says, if you bow down and worship me, all the authority and power over all the kings of this world that I have been given, I'll give it to you. But Jesus didn't say, you don't have any authority or power. You don't have any of that. He couldn't say it because it had been given to him, because it had been given to him by Adam and Eve, not by God. See, God doesn't give the way that man gives. We give sometimes, we'll take it back. You know, they, they, they give with conditions or strings attached. When God gives something, his gifts and callings are without repentance. When he gives it, he gives it, amen? So when he gave them authority, it was transferred. So we see this also, 1 John five nineteen. the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So sometimes people say, well, you know, God's in control, God's in control. Yeah, he is in control. He's the boss, he has the final say, but the Bible also says that the devil is the one that has, is in control of the world. That's somewhat the world and the world system. So you've got to factor in free will, and you have to factor in fallen man, and you have to factor in the influence of the devil as one of the reasons why our world looks the way it does today. It's not the sovereignty of God of why the world looks the way it does today. Can I get an amen? All right, there's free will, there's fallen man, and there's the influence of the devil because he says he's in, uh, the world's under his control. But what we're supposed to do is influence with the light of God so that we're influ- our influence is greater than theirs. Amen? So Adam and Eve's one act of disobedience, by their one act of disobedience, sin and death reigned in all mankind as if everyone had sinned. So it's like, well, that doesn't sound very fair. Uh, Adam and Eve did something wrong, but in God's eyes, it was like everyone born after them, they had done something wrong too. Well, it doesn't seem fair now, but I'll tell you, it's going to be really fair and more than fair at the end of the story, okay? So the world was never the same after that moment. Just imagine the heart of God that day. He made Adam and Eve. Uh, he's walking in the cool of the garden with them. He's, they're, having, there's, they're in paradise. They're just beautiful sunshine. There's no rainy days. The, earth, the water comes up from the ground to give water to the things. I mean, they're eating whatever kind of fruit and stuff they want. They're, they're talking to the animals. We don't know if the animals are talking back back then. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. But there was, it was different than now. It was absolutely perfect paradise. There was no death, no decay. Adam could be sat on by an elephant, and he wouldn't die. He'd like, get off me, big guy. You're kind of squishing me. He wouldn't die. He couldn't die. It was impossible. There was no death. I mean, just amazing. But what happened after the fall was death, decay, not just to Adam and Eve, but to the plants, animals, and everything. But just imagine God's heart that day. Here is his son and daughter, who he spent time with, who he formed out of the dust of the ground, who he breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living being. His spirit breathed into him. And then his son, that he loved, trusted a snake more than he trusted him. He trusted a liar more than he trusted him. He questioned the integrity and character and love of God, and he thought that God was literally holding something back from him when he was holding nothing back. You know, I think sometimes we, we're like Adam and Eve sometimes in that way, thinking God's holding things back from us when he's really not. We take those things, we see those things by faith, but that had to hurt his heart, amen? On top of that, God knew in that moment, and he knew before, that once Adam and Eve did what they did, sin, death, and pain was going to be in the world. Heartache pain, disappointment was going to happen, and God's heart had to be sad. Have you ever thought about or wondered, why did God bother to make man in the first place? Why did he bother even to make him? He, I mean, he had angels. He's got his Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're in perfect unity. They get along fine. They're not fighting and arguing with each other. They're, it's one. They're in unity. He had angels that do his beck and call, whatever he wants them to do. 
Why bother to make man in the first place if God knew, and God did know, that man was going to disobey in the garden, they were going to fall, sin and death would enter the world, there'd be pain, suffering, not only for mankind, but for his own son, Jesus. Why would God bother to go through that process and make this huge change in how things were uh, if he knew all this pain was going to happen? Well, the answer to that question is that God wanted a family. The father wanted a family. He wanted sons and daughters. He wanted children. So um, even though he had all those things, he wanted a family. His heart longed for something more. He longed for children. Let me show this Ephesians 3, 14 to 15. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. All idea of fatherhood, of family, all of that originated in the Father heart of God, and God wanted a family. And after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned and gave over dominion to the devil, and they became spiritually dead, God's heart was saddened. And he had a plan, though, but he wanted to redeem mankind back to his family, not just back to the ch- a church or back to an uh, association or something. He wanted to redeem his, his kids back to his family. We're called, what, sons and daughters of God. That's who we are if we're in Christ. We're sons and daughters. So God wanted a family, and he made Adam and Eve. But when they sinned, again, they died spiritually instantly, They died gradually over time, and they knew it. They knew it. They knew. They felt something changed in us, other than their clothing, what they wore. There was something changed on the inside of them. Like, I don't feel the way I felt before. I I feel different than I did before. Like, I know God's not right there walking the cool day. We're not in the Garden of Eden. We're not eating that fruit. But I feel different. There's something different about on the inside of me. And, you know, when time goes by, Adam and Eve pass away. Quite a long time later, almost a thousand years later, just under a thousand years, but a long time later, they gradually died, and time goes by, and the reality of once being spiritually alive and then being spiritually dead fades into history, fades away. No one else felt that. No one else felt that the way Adam and Eve did. No one else felt what it's like to be really spiritually alive and then spiritually dead. So um, over time, we meet characters in the Bible like Enoch and Noah. They didn't know. They didn't know it. We meet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We meet Moses and Joshua and Caleb. We meet uh, King David and Solomon. We meet uh, Elijah and Elisha and the prophets. All these were Jews. All these were God's chosen people. And they believed they were special to God, and they were special to God. They carried the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. They carried the, the law and the testaments, they, all the things that God did and spoke through them. But they had no revelation of their spiritual condition of their heart. They had no revelation they were spiritually dead because they didn't feel it. Their, what they felt was their normal. What they experienced was their normal. What they, how they were born, how they were raised, that was life, that was normal. We're just thankful that we're Jews. But there's more than that. There's so much more than that. So in the days of Moses, God introduced the law. And he did so with a very specific purpose. And his purpose was to reveal to the Jews and mankind their spiritual condition. Because only, again, only Adam and Eve knew it. They felt it, they experienced it, but no one else, spiritual death was their normal, okay? So Adam and Eve felt it, no one else did. So the truth of their spiritual condition was hidden from them since the days of Adam and Eve, and that's why God introduced the law. God did not introduce the law to make you righteous, okay? Are you here? Can I get an amen? Can I get a something? Happy Easter? Preach it, Pastor. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He didn't introduce the law to make you righteous, 
He introduced the law to show you your need for righteousness, your need for a Savior, your, your spiritual condition that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's why he introduced the law. So look at what the Bible says about the spiritual condition of Adam and Eve after the fall, and also us too, that aren't, if we're, before we're saved. But Ephesians 2.1 says that we were dead in transgressions and sins. Colossians 1.13 says they were given over to the power of darkness. Ephesians 2.2 2 calls us sons of disobedience and calls their ruler Satan. And they hear the, the Jews were thinking like, we, we got it made. We're Jewish. We're circumcised. We got all, we got all the covenants. We got all the promises. And they were spiritually dead. They had no idea. Romans 5.6 calls them powerless and ungodly. Ephesians 2.12 says we were separated from Christ without hope and without God in this world. And the Israelites didn't know it. They didn't know it. So now, uh, no one, again, no one knew it since the days of Adam and Eve. So another 7,800 years go by, and a sinful condition of man and the knowledge of that fades even further into history. No one really knew it. And new uh, people emerged on the scene, Pharisees and Sadducees. We don't see them in the Old Testament. We see them in the New Testament, but we don't see them in the Old Testament. And these were experts of the law of Moses. They were the experts to enforce the law, to interpret the law, and they made up new laws sometimes, and they, they changed laws with the tradition of man to make them more, uh, more beneficial for them or easier for them to uh, be able to accomplish them so they could feel like they were fulfilling the law because they thought the purpose of the law was just to obey the law. But the purpose of the law, God also often has many reasons why he does things, Okay. Of course, he didn't want them to kill their neighbor. Of course, he didn't want to do those things. Of course, that. But he wanted to show them through the 613 laws that eventually came around that you do not have the power to do it because there's nothing good in you. There's nothing good in you until Christ comes in you. Amen. There's just spiritual death in us until Christ comes in us. So these Pharisees and Sadducees were proud, arrogant, self-righteous men. They thought they knew the Bible better than Jesus. They thought they knew God better than Jesus. They thought they knew everything. And they assumed, since they were God's chosen people, that everything was right. That they were born righteous. They had born, everything was good. But that was not the case. And you can see Jesus many times in the Bible trying to show these Pharisees and Sadducees, you're not as holy as you think you are. You're not as good as you think you are. He said stuff to them and rebuked them on many occasions for their self-righteous things. He said, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites. You whitewashed tombs, inside is full of dead man's bones. Think about what he's saying to them. They thought they were righteous because they were born Jewish, and they thought they obeyed the law, and they probably did an okay job. But you can't just do an okay job. The Bible says you follow one part of you're breaking all of it. So he says, you, you are of your father, the devil, and you make a convert twice as much a son of hell as you are. Now imagine Jesus saying that to you, Okay. Who do you think you are? They're wearing their special garments, their special outfits. They make their tassels long. And they preach long prayers out in the streets to be recognized by men, all these things. Who do you think you are saying that? Like, what, what was Jesus doing? Was he being mean? Or was he telling the truth? He's telling the truth. You are spiritually dead. You can wear the nicest clothes you want, but you are dead on the inside. You are dead. Your father is Satan. Your ruler is Satan. And you make a convert twice as much son of hell as you are because you cannot become righteous through obedience to the law. It's impossible. Nobody can. Abraham didn't do it. Isaac didn't do it. Jacob didn't do it. Moses didn't do it. No one can become righteous through obedience. The point of the law was to show us that we cannot be obedient to all those things, and we need a Savior. We need a Savior. But the Pharisees, they didn't know that. They didn't believe that. And 
They thought Jesus was the one with the sin problem. They thought Jesus was the one that had demons, and he needed to, he was Beelzebub, they called him, and all these other insults they called him. They, they thought these things when all the while he was trying to help them. He was trying to encourage them. You know, sometimes we read those stories, we think that uh, God hated the Pharisees. He didn't hate them. He's trying to show them and reveal to them their true nature, their true nature. All right, so um, just one second here. My tablet decided to go off. Back to my scripture here. Um, so God did not hate them. Jesus didn't hate them. He tried to show them their nature. One minute here. I love it when this happens. Praise God. It gives you a chance to think about what I've been saying. Because <laughs> I've been going for a while. <laughs> All right. All right. So, um, okay. Jesus trying to teach them that no one could be considered righteous by observing the law. So the purpose of the law was not to make someone righteous. It was to make them aware of their sinful condition. We can see that in Romans 3.20. So, again, also reveals our need for a Savior. So the law was introduced to reveal or show us and them our true nature, but Jesus was introduced to show us the true nature of the Father. These guys thought they knew who God was. They thought they knew who God, so they did all these things. They thought they were the best, best men that walked the planet. They just were arrogant and self-righteous, and they didn't know who God was because God himself walked in the flesh among them, and they didn't recognize him at all. They memorized the scripture. They thought they were obedient to the law. They thought all these things. That God himself in the flesh, Jesus our Messiah, who they know the prophecies about, they had the Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible memorized, and here's, here's Christ himself walking among them, and they don't even know who he is. Do you know why? Because they're spiritually dead. And everybody, everybody in here, if you haven't received Christ, you're spiritually dead. You might feel normal. You might feel as normal as the next guy down the road or neighbor down the street. It might be your norm, but your norm and God's norm are not the same. He wants you to have spiritual life. And that's why he sent Jesus. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come you may have life and have it more abundantly. Amen? So Jesus was on a mission to reveal the true nature of man, the true nature of the Father, and to get his Father back his family. That's why he came, amen? So but there was still this problem. We were still spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins, and nothing had changed yet. Jesus walking on the earth, but nothing had really changed yet. But God had a plan, amen? Amen. John 3, 16, let me show you this. For God so loved this world, the world that we don't love sometimes, the world that makes us uncomfortable, God loves him. I don't know how sometimes, but I don't know how he loves me either sometimes, amen? He's better than us. He doesn't think like us. He, he's amazing. But God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's that word for life again, zoe, the God kind of life. They're spiritually dead, but through Christ they now become alive again in the spirit. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God did not send Jesus in this world to condemn you. He sent Jesus in this world to save you. I'm telling you. And we go to churches sometimes, we're feeling condemned, condemned, condemned. They're preaching the law, they're preaching hate is what they're preaching. And they're not realizing that Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you from your spiritual death. To save you from spiritual death. To give you the gift of spiritual life. That's why he came, amen? So Jesus came and did what the law couldn't do. Jesus came to do what Moses couldn't do, and that was to give us life and to deliver us from our dead spiritual condition, amen? And guess what? He did it. He did it. Just some of us don't know it totally, but we did it. He did it. So let me show you this. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, 
there is no forgiveness of our sins. I know you guys all know that we have probably hundreds of songs based around this scripture. But in order for us to be forgiven of our sins and saved from spiritual condition, blood had to be shed. It couldn't just be the blood of anybody. It couldn't just be the blood of any animal or just whatever. It had to be special blood. It had to be pure, spotless, sinless blood. And Hebrews 10.4 says, For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So it had to be special blood. And the only one who had special blood was Jesus. Because Jesus was born of a woman, but he was born of a virgin. His father wasn't Joseph. His father was God. And he, it was, she was conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of Mary. The, the spiritual dead DNA that was passed down from Adam and Eve didn't flow into the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus flowed from his father, God. And he had perfect, sinless, spotless blood, the Lamb of God. Amen? And the next day, John 1.29 said, The next day John, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Amen? Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world, and he's the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world, before he made Adam and Eve, before the Garden of Eden even happened. God had a plan to redeem his family back to himself. You think, why would he even do it? Why would he do it? Why, why just keep it the way it was with him and his angels and just have a good time up there, whatever they're doing, whatever they're, you know, being everywhere at the same time? But he wanted a family. And guess what he still does? We celebrated family this morning as the service started, and we have, the, we have the gift of family because of God. We have gift of the family of God because of the Father, the gift of one another because of Father. Amen? So when the fullness of time had come, Jesus was arrested for things he didn't do. He was innocent, yet punished as if he was guilty. He was whipped, punched, and beaten for things he didn't do, things that I did, things that you did. Things that Adam and Eve did. He had a crown of thorns driven into his head. Nails driven through his hands and feet. He was crucified, dead, and buried for you and for me. You see, one reason why he had a family is also for for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Believe it or not, you give the Father's heart joy. You give God joy. He's so much joy that he's like, "I'll, I'll endure that. I'll endure that. If I have to go through that, redeem my family back to me, I'll, go, I'll do that. And for the joy, he endured it. Amen. But guess what? The story doesn't end there. That tomb was just a rental. It was like a rental car, just a three-day rental. He just needed it for a little bit. Uh, you can have it back when I'm done with it, but uh, he's, he's only used it for a few days. But three days later, after the punishment for our sins was complete, Jesus rose from the dead. Not one second early. Not one second late. It says, when the punishment of your sins and my sins were completed, were fulfilled, were perfected, Jesus rose from the dead so you can become righteous. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is pivotal importance for the believer. Okay? And the devil doesn't want people to believe it. The devil doesn't want to believe us to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That, that's just a fairy tale. Now we're, we'll talk about the Easter money. We'll talk about this. We're not going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about other stuff. Right? Remember the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead, did they? Uh, the Roman soldiers were also were paid, uh, says, a lot of money to go around spreading rumors that disciples came in the night and stole Jesus' body away. There wasn't a resurrection. They, they stole his body. And for thousands of years now, the debate continues if Jesus was raised from the dead or not. You have to wonder, why would, why would anyone care? Why would we even debate this anymore? No one debates whether or not Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
No one debates whether Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead or the widow's son that Jesus was raised, Jesus raised from the dead at the own kid's funeral. He's like, hey, wait, this funeral, not yet. Touches the coffin. Boy, get out of there. Raised him to life. And they, no one debates that. No one debates about the young man I mentioned earlier. Paul was preaching on and on and on. Felt the window and died. Paul came down, raised him from the dead. No one debates that. But why is there a debate over if Jesus was raised from the dead or not? Because there's spiritual stuff connected to that. There's spiritual stuff connected to that. And the devil doesn't want us to believe those things because when we believe those things, that's when there's life, there's liberty, there's freedom when we believe what God says is true. Amen? That's why the devil's trying to fight that. Romans 10, 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If we don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. That's why, it's, uh, that's why people argue it. That's why the devil is trying to make us not believe in the resurrection of Christ because it's impossible for our salvation unless we believe that Christ rose from the dead. Amen. So if we do not believe in Jesus was raised from the dead, again, we can't be saved. Let me show you another part of this in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And you know what? A lot of people out in the world, that's how they think of Christians. Those guys, they just need a crutch. Uh, they just, they go with that whole Christian thing, the whole resurrection thing. Yeah, it's Easter weekend, big deal. They don't really understand that, no, this is a big deal. And he did it for them. He rose from the dead for you, for me, for them. Uh, I mean, all this was for him, uh, for them. Let me show you this again in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile or useless, and we are still in our sins. You ever thought about that? Just think about the verses, just, but Why? Why, why would we still be in our sins? Wouldn't the blood of Jesus be enough? We read earlier that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus' blood was shed. It was poured out to the point that he didn't have any left in his body. He just all poured out, emptied himself for us. Well, if his blood was enough in the Old Testament, wasn't it, for, to cover their sins for a year, shouldn't Jesus' blood be enough for more than that? And the answer is yes, but there's, there's more to it than just that. See, he wasn't just taking care of sin behavior. He was taking care of sin, the condition, the spiritual condition of death. Your spiritual death, that's part of what he was taking care of. So, you see, the shedding of his blood was for the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of the simple things we've done. Uh, his precious blood took care of all those things. But the resurrection of the dead was to free us and deliver us from spirit, our spiritual condition of death, deliver us from death and translate us into life, into life. So it's not either or, it's both. But if we don't believe in the resurrection power of Christ, we've been raised into newness of life. We're no longer us that live. It's Christ that lives in us and life we live in this body. We live by faith of the Son of God who loved us, gave himself for us. If we don't believe that he raised from the dead, you're not going to believe that you raised from the dead. You were spiritually, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. There was nothing you can do about it. So God sent Jesus to die in our place, not just to forgive you of your sins, just so you can feel better for the bad things we've done. He did all that. Praise God, and I'm thankful for that, because I did lots of things I shouldn't have done. But God forgave me of all those things, but he also made us alive in Christ. We were dead, now we're alive. And you know, a lot of the church doesn't know this. They don't know because it's what, we're, what you're liberated from was the sinful condition. The sinful condition is the sin nature. 
the sin nature that went into Adam and Eve in the garden. You are now delivered from sin nature. You've been translated out of that. He says, behold, all things have passed away. All things have become new. Now you have life. You have the same life of Jesus on the inside of us. He's giving you, now let you be a partaker of the divine nature of God. Amen? So his resurrection was our resurrection. His coming back to life was mankind's coming back to life. It's what the Father wanted. Spiritually dead since the fall, mankind now once again can be spiritually alive because of Jesus. Amen? Look what Ephesians 4.8 says. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. When he rose from the dead, he says he took captivity captive. Well, there's a lot you can teach on this. I don't have time right now. But basically, there's two sides of hell or Sheol, and there was a place for the righteous by faith and those that were not. And when Jesus rose from the dead, all of the side that was righteous by faith rose up with Christ. The resurrection life came in them, and boom, their, their, their resurrection was the same as Christ's resurrection. And it says many, many, you look in the book of Mark, many righteous people who had died came back to life when Jesus rose from the grave. The power of the resurrection of Christ was so explosive in the spirit realm that people came back to life. They didn't know, are we coming back to physical life? Are we coming back to spiritual life? Are we doing both? What's happened here? And some of them had both, and some of them went up to heaven. They all that were in faith received spiritual life in them. They were dead and didn't know it. They were dead in transgressions and sins, and now they're alive. And now we're alive. Amen? Jesus' resurrection of the dead made man alive once again. Amen? Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, because, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You're not spiritually dead anymore. If you are in Christ, you are spiritually alive. And it's, part of it might be, feel like you're starving on the inside. If you're starving inside, you need to feed your spirit man. Because your spirit man is alive and needs to eat. It needs to eat milk. It needs to eat meat of the word. It needs to eat the truth of God, the gospel to bring revelation and transformation in our lives. But you are spiritually alive. You're spiritually alive. So I'm going to read this first to you. I'm going to pray for you guys. First, I want to say this. Jesus shed blood, paid for our, all of our sins, and his death and resurrection caused us to come from spiritual death to spiritual life. We placed our faith in him. In John 5, 24, it said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears the word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Not when you die and go to heaven. You receive life when you're born again. And shall not come into judgment, but have passed from death to life. Pass from what death? You pass from spiritual death into spiritual life. Now the life of Christ flows and lives inside of you. Amen. Why is that important to know? Because you are alive. You're alive. His resurrection is your resurrection. His death, was, just as Adam, when he sinned one time, it says sin and death reigned to everybody through his one act of disobedience. Now through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, we've now been made the righteous of God through Christ. So he became, he became sin, and all, all man became sin, sinful. But when he did one good thing, was death, burial, resurrection, the whole thing, now you can inherit the gift of righteousness because of what Jesus did. So you said before it wasn't fair because we all became sinners because of what Adam and Eve did, but it's also not fair we all become righteous because of what Jesus did. 
That's why men is, not, men is without excuse today. Because God paid the penalty for all men. He's not counting our sins against us anymore. He's counting us righteousness. He put righteousness into our accounts. He gave us the gift of righteousness. You are as righteous today, if you're in Christ, as you're ever going to be in your lifetime. You don't grow in righteousness. You've received a gift of righteousness. We believe unto righteousness. Amen? Amen. You believe. So because of that, you now can believe unto righteousness and receive gift of zoe, everlasting life, the kind of life you can reach out your hand in the garden and take from the tree of life, the tree of life which is a type of Christ, and live forever in him. It's not blocked by the cherubim anymore. It's not blocked by a flaming sword anymore. It's moved away in the spirit realm. The veil has been torn in two from top to bottom. You have bold access to enter the place and eat and receive the life of God in you. The life of God in you. Amen? You are spiritually alive. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for you, and we're going to partake of communion together and celebrate the life we have because of him. He did this for you and for me. If that won't make you believe that he loves you, I don't know what else he can do. He said, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, dead spiritually, living in sin, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, that you can become righteous. Amen. So elders, you guys want will come up and get the Lord's table prepared, please. I'm going to pray for the people, and we'll partake together. You know, the fasting, uh, the 21 days we've ended today, and one of the things in my heart praying for was that our church would be um, transformed, just radically changed from glory to glory. And one of the ways I believe it's going to happen is as we realize we are spiritually alive. Sometimes we are judging the truth of God's word based on what we feel. This doesn't just go in sickness and things like that. It goes with emotion. Well, I don't feel that spiritual. I don't feel that spiritually alive. I don't feel that uh, you know, connected to God. I don't feel like this is true in my life. I don't feel like the word of God is supposed to be the truth, not your feelings. Your feelings, my feelings are fickle. They can change 15 times before lunchtime. You know, I, whatever. They can change all the time, but God's word will never change. So we got to get our truth from that. If God says you're righteous, then you're righteous. If God says you're holy, then you're holy. He said, he who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. If he says you're pure, then you're pure. And when we start believing what he says about us, then we really have transformation, life transformation. But we have to believe our spirit is now alive in Christ. We're now alive in him. That's why you hear his voice. That's why you can lay hands on the sick and they recover. That's why you can do the works of God and even greater works than these will you do because he's now living on the inside of us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's letting the glory of God out of us through our spiritual life that we have in him. So we have to get rid of spiritual insecurity and spiritual uh, belly gazing, navel gazing, and spiritual, we're so conscious of our sin. No, we need to be conscious of Christ in us the hope of glory. And as we get conscious of Christ in us, those other things are going to fall to the side like nothing. Because sin is dead. Sin is dead. Sin is dead. He says, count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. In the spirit realm, it's already dead. And as you believe what God says about you is true, all those other things will fall off you like nothing. But let God be true in everyone, everyone else, all your feelings, cravings, addictions, whatever. Let them all fall off you because sin is dead and you are alive in Christ. You are alive. You are alive. So as we partake of this table together, I want you to think about what you're doing here. This is not 
to do this in remembrance of your sins. This is to do this in remembrance of your spiritual life. That's why I came. I came that you would have life and have it more abundantly. More abundantly. That means tomorrow there's more. And the next day there's more. It's going to be more and more and more abundantly. So behind me, we have representations of his blood and representations of his broken body for you and for me because he wants you to know that he loves you and he's forgiven you and he's paid the penalty for everything you've ever done. He paid the penalty for your sickness, for diseases, for shame. He took guilt, condemnation, all those things. He took on himself, bore himself, bore it on the cross so you can be free. I was thinking with this the other day. Do you know Jesus hung on the cross for three hours uh, from noon to three, he hung on the cross for those three hours. It was totally dark, pitch black. This is the darkness that can be felt. It's totally, it's dark. You can't hardly see anything. He's just in there in the dark, and he's, he's receiving all these negative things as he's becoming sin for us so we can become righteous. And then he said, let there be light. Amen. God wants his light to shine in us. I'm going to pray and we're going to take the Lord's table together. God, your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. I pray in true humility we would start even today to make a covenant with you that we're going to believe what you say about us is true. No matter how I feel, no matter what I think, no matter what someone else tells me, I'm going to believe your word. If you say this about me, if you say I'm saved, I'm saved. You say I'm holy, then I'm holy. You say I'm righteous, then I'm righteous. You say I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. You say I'm healed, then I'm healed. You say I'm blessed, then I'm blessed. We're going to humble ourselves and believe what you say over us because your word is truth. Everything else is just feelings. So, Lord, we just say, let there be life. I pray even today as people partake of your broken body and your shed blood for us, that revelation be released, that you're not counting our sins against us, that bodies would be healed, shame would be broken, fear would be broken, anxiety attacks would be broken in the name of Jesus, addictions to things would be broken off our life in Jesus' name that the life of God would so surge through your body, it would destroy these things and bring life. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.